there's been a lot of interest toward what agencies can do toward data cataloging, data categorization. Both of those you see where possibilities are now in cloud solutions and the infrastructure as a service especially, but also more the software as a service providers. So agencies are taking advantage of data tagging in ways I don't think they could have taken advantage of 10 plus years ago. Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, an interview with CISA's Sean Connolly on the latest developments in federal zero trust adoption and why federal agencies must modernize their IT systems to enhance cybersecurity. It's Thursday, February 1st, 2024. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. Big news reported first on FedScoop this week. Immigration and Customs Enforcement has stopped using commercial telemetry data, which can include phone data that reveals a person's location, according to an agency spokesperson. The move comes amid an ongoing bipartisan concern about law enforcement agencies purchasing people's location data without obtaining a warrant. Senators Rand Paul and Ron Wyden have proposed the Fourth Amendment is Not for Sale Act, which would require law enforcement agencies to seek the permission of a court before paying for location data. And the Federal Trade Commission also recently took action against the selling of location data by data brokers. Civil liberties experts continue to raise alarms about the practice, too. ICE's decision to stop buying this data is a marked change from late September when the Inspector General of the Department of Homeland Security released a partially redacted report noting that the three components of the agency, ICE, Customs and Border Protection, and the U.S. Secret Service, had not complied with the department's privacy policies in regard to commercial telemetry data. In other news, the House's Office of the Chief Administrative Officer is developing a new policy regarding artificial intelligence with the Committee on House Administration. During a committee hearing about AI innovations in the legislative branch, John Clocker, the House's Deputy Chief Administrative Officer, said that the chamber needs to develop AI-focused policies and processes to continue to protect against bad actors and malicious cyber activity, using the National Institute of Standards and Technology's AI framework as a guide. Clocker stressed the need for guidance and training opportunities for House staff, which the CAO plans on doing. Currently, CAO use of AI is disclosed in a flash report released in December 2023, which details AI-assisted tools used in processes including member scheduling, bill drafting, and external speech and messaging. Clocker said that the CAO also recommends that offices adopt internal AI policies that are adjusted to the member's personal preference and risk tolerance, and that offices are increasingly vigilant about office-wide AI-based tools and the data that staff may input into them. You can read more about these stories and more at fedscoop.com. When it comes to federal cybersecurity efforts, particularly the adoption of zero trust security architectures, CISA's Sean Connolly is a top voice within the community related to the strides agencies are making to enhance their cyber protections. Connolly joins the Daily Scoop podcast to discuss the latest on federal zero trust progress, how the Trusted Internet Connections program has evolved, why IT modernization is so imperative for improved cybersecurity outcomes, and much more. John, welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. So good to hear from you. Hey, Billy. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know, it's the beginning of 2024, and I know in, in the federal government, there, there's there's a few people who really are, are the zero trust cyber people to talk to, and, and you're certainly one of them. So as we move 
further into 2024, you know, we wanted to take some time to chat about you to you with you about some of the ongoing efforts within CISA to support some of those zero trust, TIC 3.0 and other cybersecurity efforts across the federal government. But let's start with zero trust. You know, there's some major, um, you know, deadlines set that are coming up here soon, but I'd love to hear kind of your latest take on where the federal government and agencies are in their journey to zero trust. Sure, thank you again for having me on. So uh, zero trust, it's been a topic for a few years now. Um, like you mentioned, Billy, there's the OMB memo that came out in early 2022, uh, memo 2209 on the federal zero trust strategy. That maps back to cyber executive order 14028. Uh, I was involved with shaping both of those. Uh, the NIST special pub, where a lot of these discussions started, uh, NIST special pub, 800-207 on zero trust architectures. Uh, again, I'm a, uh, I'm a list as one of the co-authors on that. So number of discussions have been manifesting themselves. And like you said, since the last two years, uh, ourselves at CISA, our colleagues at OMB, whether in the office, the federal CIO, Claire Monterona, the office of the federal CISO, Chris DeRussia, uh, National Cyber Director Office, that could be at GSA. There's a number of uh, groups of us that are working with agencies on their zero trust uh, journey. So uh, we've talked about, um, I should, I'm sorry, I should also mention, you know, at CISA, uh, we worked at OMB at releasing the zero trust maturity model. And this is a way for organizations to assess uh, where they are on their zero trust modernization journey. So we've been uh, talking to agencies regularly uh, with them about how they are modernizing and, you know, just like in the federal civilian executive space, which is mostly where uh, my office supports, or when we talked to Randy Resnick over at DOD and his zero trust portfolio management office, it's always interesting because the agency missions are so great and so varied uh, that we can hear how zero trust is being supported at these agencies in different ways. So uh, just to give an example, uh, large agencies like Department of Education, you talk to Steve Hernandez, the CISO for education, he'll tell you how education is really just a big bank and how they've started to, uh, they've done their zero trust journey for a couple of years now. They've leaned into secure access service edge or security service edge solutions, SASE and SSE solutions to modernize how they're uh, supporting their network. Uh, you talk to Bo Burlas, the GSA uh, CISO, and how they are doing some of the same functionality uh, towards SASE, also how they've uh, at the same time started to peel off of the MTIPS solutions. We could talk a little bit more about MTIPS and how it relates to TIC a little bit, but you can hear how these agencies are moving forward in new ways. Uh, some of the constraints, if you will, that have been uh, uh, in place since the TIC2 uh, efforts back in 2010, 2012, those have been released. So agencies are able to move forward in new ways. We're moving away from what was called the old perimeter defense, the legacy castle moat solutions, moving to a more data centric solution, something, uh, an architecture, a more comprehensive architecture where we're able to uh, focus on the data and focus on how to protect the data in new ways. So I think that's some of the ways you're starting to hear the agencies how they're moving forward on their journeys. That's great to hear. And it sounds like you said, there's a lot of varied progress, obviously not all one size fits all and a lot of different journeys to that, that, that sort of 
end state of zero trust. Uh, but I, I think it's worth mentioning, you know, that one of the big deadlines are coming up later this year at the end of fiscal year 2024 uh, at the conclusion of September and agencies are supposed to uh, sort of have that zero trust in place, at least in the initial phase. So, you know, I guess just from your perspective, as agencies are on that journey, um, what what's your sort of, um, I guess, advice, if you will, to some of the agencies who are looking and hoping to hit that point, how they can get and reach that that sort of milestone? Yeah, I think the the first area of discussion we had with agencies, the one that really wants some clarity, even though I think it was pretty clear in the memo, was toward what we call the identity pillar and the ability for agencies to uh, use alternate identity solutions above and beyond what we've been able to use with PIV and uh, CAC cards, you know, you know the cards that uh, everyone employs when they plug them into their computers. Uh, the memo gave flexibility for agencies to support new ways with doing identity uh, solutions. And even though that was in the memo, I think almost every large agency, a lot of the small agencies, we had to work with them. And a lot of this goes back to Eric Mill uh, when he was at OMB, he just left OMB to go back to GSA to support some of the FedRAMP efforts. But it's this ability to think differently now in the ways to help protect the data in new and better ways. And I just use that topic of identity and what we're doing with FIDO, fast identity online, because it came up over and over again with agencies. I think there's a clear understanding now of how agencies can use fast identity online. So I think you'll see advancements in that area. Another part is sticking with the identity pillar is towards privilege access management. Uh, you know, those admin users, those executives, those ones that have uh, either maybe ability to um, work on networks in different ways and infrastructure or those that may have more sensitive data. How do we are able to secure those accounts in ways that we may not for the typical enterprise user? So I think identity's dominated a lot of discussions, you'll see advancement there. Uh, another one has been in the data pillar. Uh, there's been a lot of interest toward what agencies can do toward data cataloging, data categorization. Both of those you see uh, uh, possibilities are now in cloud solutions and the infrastructure as a service, especially, but also more the software as a service providers. So agencies are taking advantage of data tagging in ways I don't think they could have taken advantage of 10 plus years ago. So I think there's a couple of areas where you'll see agencies advance and some of those metrics you're talking about that'll be coming up here at the end of the fiscal year. That's great. Sounds like a lot to be optimistic about. And, um, you know, also shameless plug, we have the Zero Trust uh, Summit coming up at the uh, middle of February. I know you'll be speaking there on a couple of things. One of those things you'll be speaking to me about is uh, trusted internet connections, tick, and you sort of mentioned that in your uh, answer to the first question. But, you know, we're, we're currently in uh, or have been for, for several years now in sort of the tick 3.0 phase. And I'd love to hear just, you know, now that zero trust has sort of permeated the cyberspace and that's sort of the, the, the biggest thing out there, um, how tick sort of, uh, I guess, fits within that and how they sort of interrelate and what comes next for tick in this sort of zero trust uh, federal government. No, I think you're exactly right. If we had the old tick two model and that perimeter focus solution and you overlaid it like with the Venn diagram with zero trust and data centric. Those two circles would not be close to each other at all. Uh, but with TIC3 and what we're seeing agencies adopt as they 
uh, lean into the four different use cases we now have, the branch office use case, the remote user use case, the cloud use case, and the traditional tick access point use case. Now those two circles between tick and zero trust are starting to overlap a lot more because what we're able to do with tick three is move security closer to the data that's trying to be protected before uh, with the old tick two model and what we call the tick access point where these large firewall stacks that were only a certain number of locations across the US. Uh, we hear time and time again from agencies that may have other users like uh, the West Coast, but their tick access points are in the East Coast, or I worked at the State Department for a long time, so same challenge overseas where you have uh, State Department employees at the embassies or the post, but State Department's firewall stacks are back here in CONUS in the United States. And just the latency that was uh, uh, needed or a part of that challenge of with the TIC2 model. So as we move to TIC3, as we move to be able to support more distributed architectures, more diverse architectures, um, that allowed us more opportunities, new options available. And some of those options or the solutions mirror what we're seeing towards zero trust, right? So zero trust, uh, I mentioned before NIST 800-207, the foundational document on zero trust architectures. There's a number of tenants that are listed in that document. Access is granted per session. Uh, access is determined by dynamic policy. No assets inherently trusted. Well, with TIC3, we can support all those different tenants. Um, so you're starting to see uh, one of the challenges with TIC2, again, going with those finite TIC access points where those firewall stacks were, having to route all that traffic to where those uh, firewall stacks were located, those TIC access points, now the agencies can start supporting new solutions, secure access uh, security solutions, SASE solutions. You're starting to see agencies be able to move away from the MTIPS paradigm. They're able to use uh, uh, SASE solutions that are able to help agencies uh, get to data more quickly, get to the internet more securely, able to protect their assets in new ways that they couldn't in this old TIC2 model. So TIC3 is really about flexibility and giving agencies options, which we didn't have with TIC2. And I think a lot of those overlap with what we're talking about with zero trust, while we're starting to protect data from the inside out in ways we couldn't before the old perimeter model was more protecting from the outside in. So I think between TIC3 and zero trust, I think the agencies have a strong idea, a strong path uh, for where to go forward. That makes total sense. And you know what, what strikes me as we're talking about this a little bit is, Tick or you know even zero trust these are frameworks they're they're not really technology solutions and and so at the same time you know these are great you know again frameworks and sort of directions for agencies to move in but they also need to modernize at the same time so I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on you know how agencies are also modernizing and continuing to move to the cloud and doing the things necessary to support um, that that optimization that you're talking about because I, I don't think you can do one without the other. No, you're exactly right. So that modernization efforts, uh, when we talk about zero trust, you know, even the, our CISA zero trust maturity model, it's guilty of focusing on the tech stack. It's intentionally focused on technology, but really what zero trust comes down to is just what you said, Billy. Zero trust is a discipline. Same discussions when agencies are moving to the cloud, right? And we hear about these uh, with the tech modernization fund also. How agencies wanna break up the monolithic solution that they've been supporting. The key question when agents are moving toward the cloud or moving away from what may have been a system for sometimes 10 plus years is 
does that organization have the engineering discipline in place that they may not have had originally, which ultimately landed them with a solution that they currently support. So it's all about having this, this discipline in ways that may not have been able to before. And to be fair, uh, when moving the cloud, it also opens opportunities for new discussions and new ways. And so it's not just about, you know, again, the tech stack. So let me, let me give you an example. Um, again, when agencies or organizations were supporting those on-prem environments, uh, the, the architects, the energy engineers, they really have a pretty good guess. Here's the servers we want. Here's the, you know, the, the, the routing we want. And they're able to work with the accounting department up front to have a good understanding of what those costs were going to be. Well, as organizations move to the cloud, those discussions get flipped. It's not as much about knowing up front, this is what it's going to cost. And then we don't have to worry about the having discussions with the financial departments or acquisitions later on. With cloud, it's all about forecasting and understanding that, yeah, we have to forecast what those resources will be going in the future. But we also need some wiggle room. Uh, you know, forecasting's uh, more of an art than a science sometimes. And there's going to be some variance, I think, in the costing models. Not what those discussions you had to have before those old uh, data center solutions where you could say, this is the amount we need full stop. When you're doing this forecasting, these buying discussions with cloud, it's more about predicting and optimizing. And so even I think the best cloud forecast, they usually wiggle 5%, you know, either above or below what that was uh, estimated beforehand. That's a radically different conversation mm -hmm. than we were 10 years ago. And so I think those type of the, the discussions, what's interesting when we talk to agencies, how they're looking at uh, modernization in new ways. Yeah, that's fascinating. And it, it has changed so drastically over the last 10 years, as you mentioned. And, um, you know, I, I, I like that you mentioned the TMF and I know you're an alternate board member. And so as we close out our conversation, um, I'd love to hear how the TMF could be a, a sort of vehicle for those looking to sort of write their infrastructure and set things up to modernize so that it can support these these modernized frameworks like zero trust and tick and sort of you know it i know it's con or the tmf is is changing all, every day and there's there's always new uh focuses but you know what's the latest there from you know your board member seat in in terms of what the tmf is looking to do to support federal cybersecurity and federal modernization sure no thank you yeah uh supporting the tmf has been one of the uh, most rewarding uh parts of my career and just uh uh, for those who may not be familiar with the TMF, uh, TMF was established in 2018. Uh, Congress was allocating, I think, like $25 million or $50 million uh, buckets of money for OMB, GSA, and this board members, like you mentioned, to allocate funds to agencies to help modernize their solutions. Uh, but then out of the America Recovery Plan, uh, Congress allocated $1 billion, that's B, a billion, for uh, ways for agencies to modernize. So going from you know, little $25 million, uh, uh, what we can do to help agencies to a billion dollars greatly expanded the opportunity. So over the last couple of years, just like you mentioned, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think we're somewhere close to $800 million in awards across 50 plus projects and 25 plus agencies. I think just last week, uh, a couple of the awards that just got announced, uh, DOJ, their antitrust division received 45 million uh, deploying uh, new solutions to uh, support their new platforms, improving internal service management, simplifying the process, 
for public complaint process, uh, GSA, uh, they, they received an award for I think around 20 million toward their e-rulemaking program. Uh, their vision is to uh, fix some short-term vulnerabilities in that program, but at the same time start a multi-year effort to transition to a modernized architecture. And then my favorite uh, of the three that were just announced, the Armed Forces Retirement Home uh, Agency, they received $6 million. They're replacing a decade-old existing electronic health record system. But what you don't hear me talking about is what those uh, awards and those programs and the proposal all had in the background. Yes, they have cybersecurity embedded in them, right? You, you don't hear us talking about phishing-resistant MFA that may be part of the solution. You know, I hear us talking about EDR agents being employed in endpoints or the data categorization that I've talked about before. But all those type of features can be embedded in those awards. And that's exactly what we're looking for as we, as we review these plans at the board and the uh, program management office in GSA is, is this uh, agency employing what we just talked about, those engineering disciplines uh, as these awards are being uh, evaluated. So again, it's one of the uh, most rewarding times I've had in government is just helping these agencies uh, modernize in ways I don't think was possible a few years ago. Well, it's really cool to see you be able to do kind of stretch out and do some different things beyond your, your role at CISA. So uh, that's that's great to hear the work that's coming out of the TMF. Really, uh, you know, congratulate you on that. And uh, again, Sean, really looking forward to our chance to catch up in a couple of weeks at the Zero Trust Summit. Um, but for now, we'll, we'll keep it uh there a little shorter conversation but uh, as always really appreciate your time um great to hear all the updates on the CISA front and what you guys are doing to support the federal government so uh thanks so much for your time billy thank you happy to uh, join you you can learn more about zero trust in the federal government at the daily scoop podcast.com the daily scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms if you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll be back next week with brand new episodes. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.